Chapter Three of Jerry Macaulay: His Life and Work by Jerry Macaulay and edited by Robert M. Offord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kristen Hand. Chapter Three: Jerry Becomes a Missionary. Chosen not for good in me, wakened up from wrath to flee, hidden in the Saviour's side by Thy Spirit sanctified. Teach me here on earth to show by my love how much I owe soon after this i got a job of work which led into scenes of temptation and fell again but this was the last time i resolved to give up tobacco went into a christian family who found employment for me and i gave myself wholly to god and here let me say a word about tobacco i consider it a great stumbling block in any christian's life but when a man has had an appetite for liquor and is trying to keep from drinking the use of tobacco is positively fatal it will surely bring him back to his cups if I had given it up when I gave up rum, I believe I should have had none of those fearful falls which I have described. I was led at last by the grace of God to do the clean thing, to give up every sinful habit, and from that time Jesus has kept me. After a time my work ceased, but the money I had saved lasted me some time. When I got to the last five dollars, I went into my room and prayed most earnestly for work, and before I came out I felt the assurance that my prayer was answered. In a few days, a situation was offered me in the custom house for four dollars a day, but there I preached Jesus too much and was soon turned away. Then I got steady employment in another place where also I testified for Jesus. I had been there only a little while before a companion began to swear. I reproved him. We can get along without swearing, I said. What? said he. Are you a churchman? No, I am a Christian, or trying to be one, I replied. So I was spotted among the workmen and pointed out as one of the hypocrites. One man, a German, I was permitted to lead to Christ. One day I had a sort of trance or vision. I was singing at my work and my mind became absorbed and it seemed as if I was working for the Lord down in the fourth ward. I had a house and people were coming in. There was a bath and as they came in I washed and cleansed them outside and the Lord cleansed them inside. They came at the first by small numbers, then by hundreds and afterwards by thousands. Before I came out of this vision, I was in tears. Then something said to me, Would you do that for the Lord if he should call you? Would you do it for Jesus' sake? And I answered, Yes, Lord, open the way and I will go. I felt that I could go down there where I had always lived. I was used to the filth and the misery, the drunkenness and Romanism, and I wasn't afraid of them. I felt sure I should be called to work for Jesus down there. A little while after that, my health gave way and I took a vacation. I went with my wife to Seacliff to attend the camp meeting. All the time, the thought of this work was pressing upon me, and I prayed God to open the way for me to talk to the Christian people there about it. He gave me the opportunity. From there, I went to Sing Sing Campground and presented it, and afterwards to Ocean Grove. Many were interested in the proposed work and gave me larger or smaller sums to help it along, until I held in trust $450. Then the Lord opened the way for me to begin the work in a small way at 316 Water Street, next door to where John Allen's dance house used to be, and where the meetings had been held in which I had first testified for Jesus, after I had been brought back to him in the way I have related. The house had previously been a notorious dance house of the worst sort. At the time of the John Allen excitement, as it was called, of which I have already spoken, the lease of the dance house had been bought by my friend Mr. H., the dance house people had been turned out with all their ungodly traps and the building opened for a mission. 
Afterwards, when the lease had run out and the owner wouldn't renew it, Mr. H. bought the property so that it might be kept for a mission. There were a good many around there who would have been glad to see it turned into a devil's mission again, but they were disappointed. At the time when the Lord put it into my heart to begin a mission, the house was occupied as a kind of side station by the City Mission and Tract Society, to whom Mr. H. had given the use of it. I went to him one Sunday at the Howard Mission and told him about what I wanted to do and about the $450 that I had raised. He seemed to discourage me a little at first. He said, Jerry, if you start a mission, you will have to give your time to it. You have got a good situation and good wages where you are respected and trusted, which you will have to give up. Don't you think you can serve God and do good and earn your bread and butter at the same time right where you are? I thought then, and I knew afterwards, that he was trying me to see how much I was in earnest. I told him my heart was set on working for the salvation of such as I used to be, that I was sure the Lord had put me up to it, and that I was willing to trust him. He looked at me a minute, and then, putting his hand on my shoulder and smiling as if convinced, he said, Well, Jerry, there is the old house in Water Street. It belongs to me. You may have the use of it. I will speak to the city mission people and get them to give it up. Go ahead, and God bless you. I will help you all I can. The City Mission and Tract Society, at his suggestion, cheerfully consented to leave the house at our disposal. We went down there in October 1872, laid out the $450 in cleaning and repairing the house, and opened the place as a resort for the forlorn wayfarers, sailors, and others who frequented the locality. We put up a sign, Helping Hand for Men, which has been the guideboard to bring many a poor soul to the foot of the cross. No one need suppose that I could undertake and go on in such a work without opposition. My relatives and my wife's also were Roman Catholics and were greatly displeased with us. One of my sisters came to talk with me. I tried to convince her of the truth from the scriptures. I told her there was no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved but the name of Jesus. I could not convince her nor she me, so she went to one of the priests about it. I am a converted Protestant, said he, and know both sides, and I will soon fix him. My sister wanted me to go with her to see him. I had no desire to go for the sake of argument, but for her sake I said I would, to show her, too, that I was not afraid. She couldn't read and didn't believe what I had told her of the Bible. But, said I, the priest is a learned man, and he will know that I speak the truth. My wife went with us, and Denise, who had been brought up in a convent, and was very bigoted and bitter against the Protestants. You have come here to be convinced of your errors, said the priest, as we seated ourselves in his room. I did, said I, if you can convince me from the Bible. Excuse me one moment, Father. Do you believe it to be an inspired book? Certainly. Do you believe this of the Protestant Bible? Certainly. There is but little difference. I am glad you feel so, to start with, I said. You will allow the Catholic Church to be first, he said to me. Yes, if you leave the Roman out, I answered but he took no notice of that. Christ said, he went on, that the gates of hell should not prevail against his church. Now if the gates of hell have prevailed, Christ was a liar. That sounded hard, and I felt that my master was insulted, but I kept quiet. I want to show you, he said, that the gates of hell have not prevailed. The first church was made up of the twelve apostles. One of these was a traitor, but the gates didn't prevail then and haven't since. Have you read the history of Rome? Well, they were fearfully wicked in Luther's time. They themselves acknowledged that the church was corrupt and needed reformation, but still the church did not go down. Do you believe Luther was a good man? He could not have been, for no man is good who breaks his vows. 
A bad vow is better broken than kept, I said, but he did not reply to that. Do you believe in the Mass, he said. No, I never read of the Mass or confession in the Bible. It is a most degrading thing to bow down before a fellow man to worship him. You are not required to do that. We take the sins on us and stand between you and God. Then you stand in the place of Christ. Now God says, go into your closet and pray in secret, and he will reward openly. Isn't prayer the same thing with confession? He owned that it was, but said, Does not James say, Confess your faults one to another? Yes, said I. That is just what we do in our prayer meetings. When we have been led into sin, we say so, and repent and come to Jesus, and testify of his willingness to receive us. Well, that's right. And now, I said, while we were on this point, you have as good a right to confess to me as I have to confess to you. Confess to one another, the Bible says. Then, what do you do with these verses? There is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we can be saved. And, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You presume to be the mediator. You take my sister's sins, for instance, on yourself, you say, and bear them to God. Then I told him my experience. I have been a drunkard and a thief, one of the wickedest men that ever lived. I have been in state prison, and yet this Jesus, who is despised in your church, has picked me up out of the gutter, has washed and cleansed and saved me. But you say all the Protestants will be damned. Oh, no, said he, no. I believe that every good Protestant will go to heaven, but the turncoats, they will surely be lost. My sister can tell you what a bad man I was and what has been done for me. According to your theory, this is just to fit me for hell, and it must be the work of Satan. Satan often becomes an angel of light. Then certainly he has become a friend to me. But no, that is not so. I am not a slave of Satan. I am a free man. Jesus has set me free, as the Bible says he will do for everyone that believes in him. We don't follow the Bible. What do you follow? The traditions of the church. I didn't come here to argue, Father G, but to convince my sister of the truth. I am not afraid of the priest. The Lord has opened my eyes. Your people are afraid of you. You will lie to benefit the church. But God has said, All liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. I talked fearlessly and faithfully to him. My heart was full of peace and joy, and I believe the Lord that night fulfilled his word and made the weak and foolish things to confound the wise. I feel that a word about my wife and the way in which she was led to Christ would be appropriate here. She, too, was the fruit of the Water Street mission work, and I am sure that my work at the Helping Hand would not be half so successful as it is without her. She is truly a helpmeet from the Lord to me. She was, like myself, a Romanist brought up in superstition and bigotry. When she grew up, she was obliged, like thousands of others, to earn her own living, and for that purpose came to the city. Here she was exposed to temptation on every side. She went into worldly pleasures, as young people are apt to do, and before long acquired a love for drink. About the time of my conversion, she was invited into the John Allen mission. She attended the meetings, but the gospel invitation she heard did not seem to do her any good. They fell upon her ear, but that was all. They sounded to her, as she often says, like an unknown tongue. And yet they were not altogether new, for they called up to her memory things she had heard in her childhood 
when she had been a member of a Protestant Sunday school. And here, I think, is encouragement for Christian people to bring in such children into their mission Sunday schools, even if they do belong to another faith. The mission workers labored with Maria very kindly and faithfully, but still she was not converted. She did, however, promise to give up drinking, and after a while was persuaded to leave the city and to take a situation in a Christian family in the country. Her friends hoped that in this way, by leaving the places of temptation and living among good people, she would be brought to choose the right way. Here, she was taught in religious things, attended family worship, and read the Bible, but still her heart was not reached. After several months, she left this home for another. This, too, was a Christian family, and she had the same privileges, and here it was that suddenly the truths of the gospel were revealed to her. They came to her just as knowledge seems to open to a little child. We don't know how, only we find, when we are not looking for it, that the child knows. Her blind eyes in an unexpected moment were touched, and she saw. Her deaf ears were unstopped, and she heard. The way of salvation opened before her, and the words she had so often heard, and which had slipped off from her like water from a rock, were all at once full of life and power. They took hold of her conscience and heart. The lessons of her childhood came to her with a meaning they had never had, and she believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. When Jesus was revealed to her, she received him gladly and gave herself wholly to him. It was no halfway work with her. Her faith was childlike, her love simple and earnest. She at once received power to lift her out of the bondage of sinful appetite, and her soul was possessed with a love for sinners and a desire to lead others to the same precious Savior she had found. She could not rest day or night for the longing she had to tell the glad story of her salvation. She came back to the city and commenced missionary work in the employ of some Christian ladies as a Bible reader in the fourth ward. She found easy access to tenement houses, liquor saloons, and dens of infamy, and in every place testified of the grace of Christ, and besought sinners to behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Many listened, forsook their evil ways, and came to Jesus, who are living witnesses for the Lord today. I bless God that he permitted us to be united and to work together in the helping hand, and I hope God will let us live a great while to labor for souls. We find it sweet to work for him, and though we know we are in ourselves very weak and helpless and prone to mistakes, yet we trust in the Lord and feel that his precious blood is applied every moment to cleanse and save us. Glory be to Jesus. By the kindness of some Christian friends in the city, a dinner was provided on Thanksgiving Day soon after we took possession of the mission house. Bountiful provision was made, and the needy and outcast were freely invited to come in. The day closed with a religious service, and the Holy Spirit was poured upon the assembled company. It was a time long to be remembered, and under its solemn influence, the Lord put it into our hearts to appoint a similar meeting for the next evening. From that time to the present, now more than three years, the humble chapel of the Helping Hand has been opened and lighted every evening for a gospel service. Hundreds of souls have been converted to God in this hallowed spot. The Lord has truly honored the place and the work. The meetings are led by Christians of various denominations in New York and Brooklyn, and it is wonderful how their workers have been blessed of God in their earnest effort to do good to others. I am on the spot all the time with my wife, and our work is by no means confined to the evening service. Multitudes of poor sinful ones come in during the day for help and counsel. We point them to Jesus, the great physician and helper of body and soul, and many a one has it been our pleasure to lead to the fountain opened for sin and uncleanness. But my vision is not yet fully realized. The house of the Lord with the bath, the chapel, and all the furnishings which I saw has not yet been given. 
it is the dearest hope of my life to see it. I pray daily that the Lord will provide the means to put up just such a building, for it is needed in this fourth ward as a refuge and safe harbor for the poor souls tossed up and down on the billows of sin and misery. And I have faith to believe that in God's own good time it will be accomplished. Footnote. In the year 1876, the old building at 316 Water Street in which Jerry commenced his work was torn down, and a substantial three-story brick building was erected for the use of the mission on the same spot, thus realizing in great measure his vision and the hopes and aspirations to which it had given birth. About this time, the mission was incorporated under the title of the Macaulay Water Street Mission and became the owner of the property free from debt. Its work still goes on, constantly illustrating the power of Jesus to save, perpetuating the memory of its founder, and honoring the Redeemer whom he loved and served. End of footnote. Meanwhile, we are watching for souls, humbly trusting in the grace of God and the gift of his Holy Spirit, which alone can draw them out of bondage of Satan into the liberty of children of God. This short sketch of my life I now lay as an offering on God's altar. I've told enough of my sin to magnify the riches of divine grace which reached out the hand of love and gently drew me in from the depths of iniquity into his loving favor. My prayer is that the story of what Jesus has done for me may encourage other sinners to trust in him for the same glorious, free salvation. Note. We have now come to the end of the little work, Transformed, published by Jerry. He intended writing a larger volume during the winter of 1884-85, to and would no doubt have done so had not death ended his earthly labors. Happily, some further accounts of his work were dictated by Jerry from time to time before his death, and these have furnished the material for many of the succeeding pages. End of chapter 3